Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, this morning we're going to jump into our series we've been in the last three weeks called Contend Contenders. Each of us today are contenders. How many of you are uh, March Madness basketball fans? Anybody? It's starting to only four or five of you. Wow, that's amazing. What do the rest of you do the month of March? Wow, you must have jobs or something. I don't quite understand that. But, um, but you know, this is a, this is a uh, month where a lot of people are contending for, uh, to see who's the best basketball team in the nation this month, March Madness. Um, there's a lot of people that contend for a lot of things. As Jesus followers, there are certain things that God has con- He's commanded us to contend for. So let me, let me start you off this morning with a true or false question. Some things in this life are worth fighting for. True? Yeah. Some things are worth fighting for. But I wonder, do we ever waste our time fighting for the wrong things? Contending for the wrong things. I mean, sometimes we get really worked up because the volunteer referee called the wrong call on our fifth grade soccer team, and we contend fiercely over a uh, you know over that situation. Are you contend hard over a trophy that's made out of plastic that your kids are going to throw away after you die? You contend for that, but does it really matter? Today, I want us to focus on contending for what God says matters, and this is a series through the book of Jude that we're finishing up today. And in verse number 21, here's what it says, keep yourselves in God's love. Let's, let's take a time out and just ask a question. Whose job is it to keep me in God's love? Whose job is it to make sure I'm following Jesus? Your pastor's? Your moms, dads, do you know no one can take responsibility for your spiritual, spiritual condition but you? So like Jude said, keep, your, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by the corrupted flesh, to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the one and only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all the ages, now and forever. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for this word today. We know your word never returns void, but always goes forward to accomplish what you meant for it to accomplish. And I pray that is what will happen in this moment today. We pray the Word of God will work. Work in this room, work on your people, and most importantly, God, work on me as I preach this message. Help me to preach above my own ability, speak the words of God, your words alone. We commit in this moment to respond to what the Holy Spirit would say to us, and we'll give you thanks for it. Everybody in the room said amen. So we've talked about contending for three different things this month. Week one was, you've got to learn to contend for the faith. Jude says there's a lot of other, a lot of other um, messages going forth. The Word tells us 
over and over again that in the last days there will be many false prophets who are saying things that sound like good stuff. They sound like Jesus. They sound like the Word. As a matter of fact, I would say they're 99% the Word of God. But can I tell you, when it comes to the Word of God, 99% is not the Word of God. That's called a falsehood. It's called a trap. That was week one. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. Week two was last week, which if you didn't like last week, um, man, last, you know, usually I like it when we talk about me. And last week was all about me. When I say me, I mean you. Last week we talked about how do we contend for ourselves? How do we keep ourselves in, in step with what the Lord is doing? But today we're talking about how to contend for others. Not just for others outside the doors, which is very important, but also how do we contend for one another? Sometimes we spend too much time fighting against the powers of darkness instead of fighting for the people that live next to us or even in the house with us. Can I tell you, evil is not going away. So as people of God, we've got to take some of our attention off of fighting against evil and start fighting for the people that God has planted in your life. If we are okay watching people become less and less committed to the Lord, or if we're comfortable letting people slip out of right relationship with God, then I think that's an indicator that we have begun to contend for the wrong things instead of the things that God has put in our hearts. And before I get any further, I won't go any further down the road, I want to tell you today I'm going to share with you three ways that you can contend for other people, whether it's people in your household, people in your extended family, friends you know in the marketplace or in, the, or in school. Maybe it's a stranger on the street the Lord's going to put you in contact with. Maybe it's someone in, that you've met in church or in, in a life group or a connect group. Maybe it's someone you minister with in kids' church or on youth staff. The, today, the Lord's going to show us three different ways that we can contend for people. And by the way, this is not a one-size-fits-all, which is why I believe the Lord gave us these three ways that we can contend for people. And I just want to tell you out of the gate, some of you in this room... You, God made you, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and so your natural, your natural way to contend for people, one of these three ways is probably the way you naturally contend for people. But today I want to challenge you to get out of just your natural way and let God use you maybe in some different ways to contend for the people that God has put in our path and and by the way, the Holy Spirit is in all of this process. We don't get to contend for people the way we want to. We have to contend for people the way that God instructs us to. So how can, how can we as a church contend for people? God's called us to be contenders. But we can't just contend for the Word and live in a bubble. We can't just contend for ourselves and say, well, bless God, me and my four are going to heaven, and that's all I need to know. No, Jude says, you've got to contend for others. And here's the first way he tells us to do it. He says to be merciful for those who doubt or to encourage 
those who are doubting. Let's be honest, haven't all of us had seasons where we struggled with doubt? You know, doubt can be overwhelming. Doubt can take someone who is a mature believer and make them question everything. When people are facing doubts, uh, the Bible says that anyone who doubts, they become like a wind that's, or like a wave that's on the sea that's, that, that sea that's blown wherever the wind takes it. Doubts can make the most solid person very, very susceptible to deception or, to, uh, or even just being overwhelmed by fear. Doubt can shake people. Well, Pastor, how does doubt creep in? Well, it creeps in a lot of different ways. Maybe you got a bad report physically from a doctor. How many would say that can cause doubt? Amen. Maybe you hear reports on how your grown son or daughter is back in a, back in a lifestyle of addiction that, that you thought they were done with. You thought they had set them free. And you can wonder, are they ever going to be delivered? That can cause doubt to a parent's mind. Or, or maybe you try to do, have you ever tried to do something for God and fail? I wish, that, I wish that I could tell you that if you will just respond to the call of God, that you will succeed the first time. But that's, that's not often the story. Many times we do our best for God and, and, we, and we fail. It doesn't go like we thought it was going to go. And doubt, doubt can say, hey... God, it didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen, so therefore I doubt if God will ever use you again. Or maybe you're new to your faith. Maybe you're, maybe you're following Jesus and there's a spiritual leader, maybe a pastor or a teacher or a parent or a friend that led you to Jesus. And now that person that you admire, that you thought they are the perfect example of a Christ follower, maybe they sinned or they stumbled and they disappointed you. And now you're thinking, man, if they can't live for Jesus successfully, how will I ever do it? Doubt. Maybe you're personally in a cycle of sin. You feel like you've broken it. You feel like the Lord delivered you, but now you find yourself in the cycle once again. And you, in, the, in the quiet moments of your mind, you wonder, will I ever really be free? Did you know that one of the schemes of the enemy is to rehearse your doubts to you? The Bible says the enemy is a, the accuser of the brother. So whenever you hear a voice in your head, it doesn't mean you're crazy. It means the devil's doing his job. It means he will come to you and he will tell you that your failure that was yesterday or two weeks ago, it is still your failure today. That how God lets you down once upon a time in your mindset that he's going to always let you down, that, that, you're, that you just don't get it, that he doesn't love you. Can I tell you, but the, the, the word of God has to be stronger than the voice of the enemy if we're going to overcome our doubts. See, doubt can move you to a place of hopelessness if it's not addressed. I have a friend of mine who is a strong believer. You ever just met someone who is a strong believer? Strong believer. And everything in her life said that she was a strong believer, but through a season of crisis and tragic endings, through a season of her life, 
She never, she never out loud said, I don't believe in God. She never out loud said, I reject everything I've ever studied or read or heard prayed. There was never any verbal, verbal rejection of the love of God. But you could just tell that she, she had come to the place where she thought God existed, but she doubted if God was good. Or she at least doubted if God was good to her. But thankfully, through years of people loving her anyway, through churches loving her anyway, through people like you praying for her anyway, this young lady who was once far from God because of the heartbreak in her life found her way back to Jesus because someone encouraged her. When you and I see people who are struggling in doubt, our job is not to say they need to get their act together. Our job is to say, how can I come along beside them and encourage them to the Lord? You and I are surrounded by people who are waiting for someone to encourage them towards the Lord. You encourage them with your steadfastness to lead a life of Jesus in front of them. You encourage them by loving them when no one else will. You encourage them by telling them the truth that maybe they do or do not want to hear. But every time you love them despite their failures, you know what you're doing? You're encouraging them. Don't let people's failure keep you from loving them. Don't let people's doubts cause you to internalize their doubts and say, well, I doubt if they'll ever be what they were once before. Perhaps God will use you to encourage them to restoration. I like what Dan Ryland said. He said, encouragement is kind of a fuel and enables people to try harder, reach further, dig deeper, and hold on longer than they previously thought was impossible. I just wonder in this room, has there any, is there anyone, anyone in the room today that she said, Pastor, there's once upon a time where I was surrounded by doubts, but I'm, I'm where I am today because someone encouraged me. I mean, all across this room. We've got to be that to someone else. And by the way, encouragement is not the same as lying to them. Right? Don't lie to them. Don't say, well, you'll get over it. Hey, that, that sin you're in, it's really not that bad. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not that big of a deal. They don't need to be lied to and say, hey, this struggle you're facing is a piece of cake, man. You can beat this with your eyes closed, no problem. No, they need someone to encourage them with the Word of God. Not encourage them with their ability, encourage them with God's ability. You know, there's a man in the Bible whose name is John Mark who was traveling with Paul and Barnabas. Many of you know this story in the book of Acts. And on their first missionary journey, the going got tough, and John Mark got going back home. Like he abandoned ship. He abandoned the post. He, he ran out on them. He just left them. He doubted God could use him. He doubted they would survive it. He doubted that they would live through this, this season of persecution. So, so John Mark, he got up. He went home. He, for, he said, forget this. And they get ready to go on another missionary journey. And, and Barnabas says, hey, let's, John, let's, let's, let's get John Mark. Let's get him to go with us. And Paul says, no way, Jose. No way. No offense to anyone whose name is Jose. 
He said, that, that's not happening. He, he walked out on us. He left us for dead. He abandoned us. That dude ain't ever going with us. I'm not sure if he used the word dude, but he said, no, he's not going. And Barnabas said, I think he can come. And Paul said, no, he's no good. Barnabas said, I think he'll be good. Paul said, no, he can't be good. And you, know, you probably know the story. They, they argued. Paul said, no way. Barnabas said, I think if we encourage him, he can make it. If you know the rest of the story, they parted ways. Paul went one way. Barnabas stayed with John Mark. We don't really know this, a whole lot of information about Barnabas and John Mark's story, except for at the end of Paul's life, Paul says this. He says, hey, send John Mark to me. Listen to this, what he says. Because he is valuable to me. Someone who was not valuable became extremely valuable because someone walked alongside of them and encouraged them along the way. Friends, do you have the understanding that you can take a person that the world says is not valuable and God can work through you to do something great that makes them valuable to the kingdom of God, to their family, and to the work of God in this city? I'm not asking you to deny what people are, but I would ask you, can we put on some glasses of faith and see what someone could be through the eyes of love and with a little bit of encouragement from the body of Christ? Amen. God has called us to contend for other people. And did you know that people need encouragement? Do you know how to, do you know how to tell if someone needs encouragement? You walk up to them, Phoenix, I'm going to borrow Phoenix for a minute. Stand up real quick. Oh, okay. <laughs> you walk up to him, you put your hand right here, and if you feel a pulse, <laughs> they need encouragement. Isn't that true? Thank you. There are people around you all the time whose life would change if you would just encourage them. I love the parable that Jesus told And I've never really read this parable in this light, or it's never gripped me as much as it has the last couple of weeks preparing for today. Jesus told a parable in Luke 13 about a man who had a, who had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And for three years, he said the farmer went to this fig tree to gather fruit off the tree. And for three years, there was no fruit. And the farmer said, hey, let's just cut it down. Let's just do, it's not, let's not producing, let's just put it, let's, let's put, get it out of here. But the gardener replied to his master, I think it's the New Living Translation that says, the gardener said to the master, master, would you give me one more year? Now here's the phrase. So that I can pay special attention. And let's see if next season it won't become fruitful. Did you know there are people in your life who require extra attention? But there are people in your life who God could use you to change with a little bit of extra attention. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that when my life 
was in the pits that someone came and, and shared the grace of Jesus with me. They gave me extra attention. They picked me up out of the gutter of life. They loved me when I was a failure. They loved me when I had nothing to offer. They believed in me when no one else believed in me. What did they do? They came and encouraged me. They changed me. And God can use you to change others. Sometimes we buy the baloney. You understand the Greek word baloney? We buy the baloney that God can't use me. You know what? If you have no talent on earth, God can still use you to encourage someone else to be what God's called them to be. This, this idea that I'm too old or I'm, I'm unable, I'm too limited mentally or physically or I don't have the time to make a difference. All of that is, is baloney. You can make, God can use you to change someone else's life. He can use us to contend for them by being an encourager. Number two today, second way we can contend for people. By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm not a prophet, but I predict that the longer I preach, the less you're going to like it. But here's point two, is we have to confront those who are perishing. There's certain, certain phrases in the Bible that when I read them, like I get an instant mental picture, and I instantly, like, I instantly get it because it's, it's language that I grew up with. And this... Verse 23, this is language that I grew up with. It said, snatch them from the fire. Say that word with me, snatch them. Now, if you're from Arkansas originally, that should resonate with you. Because when I was a kid, I would get into things I wasn't supposed to get into. And my mother didn't say, Greg, she didn't pass go. She didn't collect $200. She snatched me by the back of my neck and got me from where I was to where I was supposed to be. I'm not sure that's what Jude had in mind, but that's how I read it. But he did say, snatch them from the fire. Imagine with me, you're sound asleep. You're at home in your bed, 3 o'clock in the morning. The smoke detector in your house goes off, awakening you and in a half-awake panic. You jump up expecting that it's a bad battery or something like all the false alarms before. But this time when you walk out of the, ba- out of the bedroom, the, you can see flames are engulfing your kitchen and your living room. You know that everything that you've been taught, every class you went to in high school, every fire drill you participated in, you know that you're supposed to get yourself Forget your belongings. You're supposed to get yourself out the door into that, into that pre-arranged meeting space as soon as possible. But if you're a parent, that's not what you're going to do, is it? Because you know, if your kids are like my kids, I'm pretty sure a freight train could drive through the middle of my house at night and they're not waking up. Now, if I crack the door to check on them, they're going to wake up for that. But, but <laughs> loud noises, what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to 
run through fire if necessary, break out a window if necessary, go through a sheetrock wall if necessary. You're going to do whatever it is to get to their room, to snatch them out of that fire and get them out of that house. Isn't that what you're going to do? And Jude says, snatch others from the fire. Do you know why you have to go snatch your kids out of the fire? Because they're unaware that it's on fire. If they were aware it was on fire, you wouldn't have to snatch them. They'd be running to you. They'd be meeting you out the door. They'd be racing to the door. But the fact you've got to snatch them means they're in a situation and they don't know how dire it is. I wonder how many people in the world today are perishing and they don't know it. How many people are in the church today and they're perishing, but they don't know it? They like the church. They like the music. They like their friends. They wish the pastor would get off this Stuff about how I live, but the rest of it's okay. Someone has to confront them. And most of us in this room, we don't like to confront anybody, do we? I was once told, if you like confronting people, you're doing it wrong. And I kind of believe that. Because when you confront people, you you don't just get to tell them what you want to tell them can't just tell them off. Confronting someone means that you present the truth in love. But you're trying to snatch them out of something that is destroying them that they don't know is destroying them. I think the hardest job as a parent has to be to watch your kids participate in something that you know is destroying them, but they don't know is destroying them. And no matter how many times you tell them that what you're doing is destroying them, they don't believe you. Has anyone been on that bus ride before? You, you, but you, what do you have to do? You have to confront them anyway. You know, sometimes the, the way I figure out what a particular word means is I kind of look at what the opposite of that word means. Do you know what the opposite of confront is? It's to avoid. And sometimes we avoid confronting people even though they're making decisions that we know, not because we're so smart, but because God's Word tells us so. We fail to confront people who are making deadly decisions, who are making decisions that Maybe it's not going to destroy them today. I mean, the Bible does say that sin, is, sin has a pleasure for a season. And maybe right now they're in that season where everything they're doing, everything they're buying into, everything they're investing is, oh, it's bringing nothing but pleasure. Look, I'm doing life my own way. It's not bad. It's fun. It's pleasurable. Sure, that's what the Bible says. But someone needs to speak to them and say, listen, I know that in this season right now, it's a season of pleasure, but at the end of it, it's only going to be pain. But we don't like to confront people. Instead, we'd rather avoid it because why? If I confront them then I don't get to avoid the awkward conversation. If I confront them, I don't get to avoid that fear of maybe I'm going to become the bad guy or the third wheel or the odd man out or whatever. But I want to tell you, people are worth contending for, even if they don't appreciate it in the moment. My pastor used to tell me, he'd say, Greg, I'd rather be your worst enemy and nudge you towards heaven than be your best friend and pat you on the back all the way to hell. 
Think about it. We have to be willing to tell people what you sometimes don't want to hear. And I told you at the beginning of this message, some of us are really good at one of these. Some of you are like, send them my way. I'll tell them. And the Lord may be wanting you to learn how to encourage someone. (laughs) Where's my shouters now? Right? Some of you think, others of you in this room, you just think, well, I'm just going to love them, love them, love them, love them. I'm like, no, I'm not going to tell them what they're doing is wrong. I'm just going to love them, love them, love them. And it's not one or the other. We need to let the Holy Spirit tell us how do I need to contend for this brother or sister in the season that they're in right now? Third way, if you didn't like that one, you're really not going to like this one. Third way we contend for people is we rebuke those who are rebelling. Now, first person, first way we contend for people, people who need encouragement, they may be people who are Christ followers or not Christ followers, but they need someone to encourage them, to, to discover the heart of God towards them. Second group that need to be confronted, they may once upon a time be a Christ follower, maybe they've never been, you know, the Apostle Peter, after he's preached the day of Pentecost and he's had thousands of people come to know Jesus, after he's had all these great things happen, you know, the Apostle Paul had to confront him because Peter was sort of living a life of, uh, of, of prejudice or racism against the Gentile people. He would separate himself, and Paul had to confront him and say, listen, what you're doing is not good. You're drawing a line where God says there is no line. So, so as, as a church family, aren't you glad you came to church today? Church, sometimes we have a responsibility to confront one another because we're not aware of what we're doing. Or we're not aware of the, of the impact of what we're doing. Maybe we think it's no big deal when... Actually, it's a really big deal, but there's this third category, rebuking those who are rebelling. This is a little bit different animal here. He says, to others show mercy mixed with fear. You know, the, the time of my life when I really came to be a Christ follower, I mean, I grew up in church. I was there every time the doors were open. I was there nine months before I was really here because my parents never missed church. You understand? You see my background? I mean, I was there. But, but being in church doesn't make you saved. It just makes you religious. And I'll just tell you, I was a teenage religious bigot in many ways. I'll never forget one night in, in youth service, there was a presentation made. And it was so real to me that please don't get mad at me for saying this. It scared hell out of me. I decided I don't want to go to that place. That I got a clear revelation of Jesus and a, real, and a clear revelation of where my decisions were taking me. And I turned to Jesus. When it says rebuke those mixed with fear, we don't like to talk about fear in God. That's not very trendy. But at some point, we have to let people know 
There is a lot at stake here. I'll say it again. We have to let people know there's a lot at stake here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, listen to these words. For we must all. Well, I'm not really into this Jesus thing. That's okay. I mean, I grew up in church, but I don't believe that anymore. That's okay. Don't matter. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due to Him for the things we did, whether good or bad. Listen, I'm not talking about contending for people on this point that are unaware of what they're doing. I'm talking about contending for people who are very aware of what they're doing. There are some people who are like that prodigal son who said, Dad, I love you, but not really. Just give me, give me what you owe me. I want to do my thing. They spit in their father's face and they go do their own thing. That's, that's what they're like. Many of you know people who are running from God. Many of you have been the people, maybe all of us at some point, have been the people who have ran from God for a season of your life. And I, I want to ask the rich run, young ruler a question. I want to ask those of you here in this room this morning, maybe you're running from God. Here's the question I want to ask you is this. How much are you going to lose before you turn to God? See, the rich young ruler lost everything. Because he wanted to run away instead of running to God. The Bible says we've got to rebuke some of those. Pastor, I just don't think that, I don't think that rebuking is something we ought to do today. You know, Paul told Timothy that the word of God is effective for rebuking and correcting. Galatians chapter 6 says, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should gently Restore him, but watch yourself, or you may be tempted. Listen to what Paul said to 1 Timothy chapter 5. He said, those who, who sin are be to, be to re, be rebuked publicly. Who wants to sign up for that? He's pretty serious about that. Jesus said in Luke 17, 3, watch yourselves. If your brother sins... Rebuke him, and then if he repents, forgive them. we got to be bold enough to rebuke those who are running away from God. They may fly right past you as you rebuke them. Sometimes it takes people hitting rock bottom, sleeping in the pig pen. Sometimes it takes people to just to lose everything before they turn and see the Lord but we owe it to contend for them. And then look what the Word says. And when they repent, forgive them. Forgive them. And the latter part of that rebuking thing is this. He says, contend for them, but then he says this. Hate the garment, or hate even, even the clothing of sin. There's a lie in our world today that says, if you love me, you got to love all of me. If you're going to accept me, you have to accept what I'm clothed in. 
But Jude said this, hate the garment, love the person. The world is telling us today, you need to love the sin and you need to love the sinner. But can I tell you, people are more than just their sin. And our world is telling us today, oh no, no. The, let's identify the people with their sin. That way we can, if you write off their sin as being sin, you write off that person from being a person that God values. And that's not true at all. Paul said, hate the garment, or I'm sorry, Jude, but don't hate the person. I want to tell you this this morning. If you are trying to contend for someone who is running from God, it can be very painful. Don't let your hatred for the garment rob you of your love for the person. And don't let your love for the person rob you of your hate of the garment. You understand? If we get either of those mixed up, we're going to fail to contend for people as God's called us to contend with them. When I was a kid, we used to sing this song that said, lay aside your garment that is stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. For there's a fountain flowing for the soul that's unclean. Be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Today, can I tell you, your garment is not yours. If you're clothed in a garment of sin or failure today, you can shed that garment. And where you had robes of sin, where you had garments of unrighteousness, He can give you a better garment. He can clothe you in a better righteousness. He can clothe you with a better life, but He can't do it as we justify our wrecked up self. He only does it as we say, God, cleanse me. I need you and restore me. And when you pray that prayer, He will answer it every single time. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I'm sure, if we're honest, many of us have spent a season or two in all three of those categories. We've been people that needed encouraged. We've been people that needed confronted. We've been people that even needed to be rebuked. And someone encouraged us. Someone gave us the needed awakening. Someone even gave us the needed rebuke we needed. And God is still giving people those three options this morning. And you may be wondering, well, Pastor, why should I even bother with this? Why should I do that? Why should I, why should I contend for others? Because Romans 5 says this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See the picture of the cross is a picture of Jesus contending for you and for me. He contended so we could have a peace in the middle of our doubts. He contended so we could have freedom from our sin. He contended for us so that we can know there is a way out of what we get ourselves into. The reason we must contend for others is because Jesus first contended for us. Every head bow, every eye closed, no one moved around. I want to ask you this morning, say, Pastor, 
you would just say this. The Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you. Pastor, I'm the one that needs to be contended for today. I realize I'm in a place of need. I, need, I, I realize I'm in the place of God. Maybe today the Spirit of God has encouraged you to the place of saying, hey, this is your moment to give it to me. Maybe something this message has confronted you or, or maybe it's even been a rebuke to you to awaken you from your spiritual slumber and say, hey, this, I got to change. I got to change. Today the Spirit of God has contended for me and I want to respond to it. I would love to pray for you this morning. I'm not going to call you forward or even ask you to stand, but I would just love to know to personally pray for you as, you're, as you are responding to God contending for you this morning. I would love to pray for you personally. Would you just lift, lift your hand real quick. Let me, Pastor, pray for me. Amen? Amen. 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 You know, as, as painful as rebukes are, the Bible says that if you rebuke a wise person, they'll love you, they'll love you for it because they understand the healing that comes from honoring it. If you lifted your hand today, listen, I believe you're a wise person because you're responding to the Word of God. You've humbled yourself enough to, to say, listen, I've got to turn from my way to God's way. And so I want to pray for every person lifting a hand, and then I'm going to challenge the rest of us before we go. But Father, I pray for those in the room that by your spirit and by your word, you have encouraged them or you've confronted them or you've even used the word today to rebuke them to a place where they realize that their way no longer works. Their, law, their way does not accomplish what needs to be accomplished. God, heal them from the tragedy that hurt them. God, thank you for awakening them to the path that they've been straying down. They lifted their hand this morning because they're getting back on track. And God, thank you for rebuking those who are just flat out avoiding and ignoring the Word of God. Lord, we don't want, us to, we don't want it to cost us another second of what this life abundant you promised to us. So God, as you've awakened them, as you've contended for them, Help us go back and live out that first verse of Scripture we read this morning, that we're going to keep ourselves in the things of God. Lord, do that today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at me. There are people in your life who are away from God. Maybe they were once Christ followers. Once Maybe they were once a Christian, maybe they're once someone who attended church, but for whatever reason they're away from God. Or maybe they've never heard the name of Jesus. Will you be the person that contends for them? How do I do that? Some, some of those in your life, you gotta, you, God needs you to be an encourager to them. Be that friend that sticks with them. Others of them, they need you to be honest enough to confront them with their blind spots. They don't see. They're, they're sort of innocent in that they don't see. Maybe they ought to see, but they don't see the path their decisions are taking them. 
God wants to use you to take the blinders off. The Bible says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the hope that God has for them. And we confront them to take the blinders off so they can see and decide. Maybe God's put you around a person who is running, running hard away from God. And God might use you to be the, the last road sign before they hit rock bottom to offer restoral and repentance to them. Can we just stand across this room together and we ask the Lord, God, use me to continue. In whichever avenue or perhaps in every avenue that you would want to use me in. Father, help us today. Help us to encourage people towards living for you. Help us to be that breath of fresh air of the love of Jesus to those who are, Lord, they're suffocating with the hopelessness of this world. Help us be that encouraging voice to them. God, help us to be spiritual optometrists for those who are blind to the decisions of their life. Help us to confront them with truth wrapped up in love. To help see people who are drifting from God come near to God. And last but not least, Lord, teach us how to gently yet faithfully, Lord, plainly but lovingly rebuke those who are running from you. Help us to always, always, always love the person. And may we never, never come to love the clothing. Lord, don't let our disdain for the garment develop in disdain for the person. Help us to love them well. Help us to teach them the truth in hopes that they would come to Jesus. I pray this week, Lord, you would lead each of us to someone that we can help contend for the faith of Jesus, not just in our life, but in their lives as well. And we'll give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, if you receive the word of the Lord this morning, give the Lord a hand clap today. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Hey, it is, uh, it's 1122. If no one's told you yet they love you, I'm going to be the first to tell you I love you. God bless you. If you're a first-time guest, I'll be in the foyer. I'd love to meet you and put a gift in your hands. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you're ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.